You ready to do this? Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another show. And today we are going to talk about Cody. I think maybe our favorite subject these days. We're going to get into we're going to get into defense. I, I want to know who the best defense is mm. in the NBA. I, I've been I've been thinking about it. I've been it's been bouncing around in my head. And uh, we need to do our thing where we get on the couch and we talk it out. And we figure out what's going on. But before that, before that, I want to do my favorite thing about this week or the league that I'm seeing lately. I don't know. This is I want to start like a new segment and call it my favorite thing. But this is going horribly. So I'm just going to try it once and we'll, fi- <laughs> we'll figure it out from there. Uh, there's a lot of players. I was watching the Lakers Spurs game the other day. Okay. Anthony Davis mm-hmm. sprains his ankle on like the first play. Of the game. I know it's a rarity for Anthony Davis to roll an ankle. But here's the thing, Cody. Here's the thing that I'm loving. Anthony Davis did not leave that game. He played the whole game hobbled. He hobbled around the court the whole game. I don't know if there's been a, a, a leap in ankle science or the ankle research, but he played the whole game. Then the ankle stiffens up and it gets all tight and swollen. And he sits out the next game. He might miss two games. I don't know. Yep. This is not the first time I've seen this. This is happening everywhere. Every game. Devin Booker, remember in the Toronto game? Busted up his ankle, came back, played the whole game, then missed like the next two or three games. This huh. is a new thing. What's going on? Oh, this is really... You really hit me with some hard science here. I mean, coming from a guy, like I've sprained my ankle more than like it's possible to count at this point. I feel like after a certain point, you just like hit it and you're like, well, I got a certain amount of time. I don't know if these the adrenaline, Ben. I don't know if it's a thing where you can't injure it more, but like I don't want to get into any kind of like weird pseudoscience type thing. So I'm not going to philosophize on this, but this is something I might look into. This is genuinely really interesting. And scientists out there, real ones, uh, get at us. I would like to hear if there's anything new in, in ankle out there. I, I liked how whatever I came up with at the beginning was hard science for you. Like maybe we should take the little boat to Antarctica and do some flat earth research later, later on if that's our hard science. <laughs> Check out the ice walls. Yeah. Is that the, what we're going to do? The extent of my thought was like the players are not leaving the game anymore. And you were you were ready to jump right into the lap. I, I appreciate it. Well, I'm just really interested in that. I want to know like if like, yes. I don't think it's necessarily like a toughness thing. Like people are sitting out left and right for like, oh, we need to rehab this. We need to rehab this. Clearly there's something going on where you can say, like, hey, you can actually play through this. It's okay. That's what I want to know, Ben. While we're sharing, can I share something that I hate recently? Is that, can ne- I do that? You're, we're, are, is this what's happening today? We're getting negative Cody. Everyone, if you're a new listener, stand back. This is a fan favorite. Uh, go ahead. Okay, so I, I'll be positive at some points. I'll share things that I like. But something that I've been noticing a lot that's re- really sticking in my craw, this is really bothering me. Ben, this is a PSA to everybody. If you get fouled, if there's a shooting foul and you shoot the ball up, right? Like, you get the foul, and then you shoot it, and somebody comes and blocks it, it's not an automatic goaltend. Like, I promise you, it's not an automatic goaltend, regardless of what your entire team says, regardless of how the entire arena reacts. It's not just a goaltend. A goaltend mm. means it's, it's, an ape, it's hit the apex and is going down, and then you block it. Just because it's blocked after the whistle, it's not one. I see this every single time there's a shooting foul followed by a block. You see everyone react as in like, oh my god, everyone's like spinning their hands in the air. Like it's it's ridiculous, Ben. We need to stop it. It's a clean block. That's fair. Well, we're going to send a memo to the league and okay. get on that. And the teams we're going to talk about today are doing a lot of clean blocks. But before 
we dive in, it wouldn't be a traditional Thinking Basketball podcast episode if Cody didn't didn't hit us with a litany of definitional questions and philosophical ideas to kind of try to understand what we're talking about. So before we start naming teams, Cody, when we say the best defense in the NBA, first of all, I'm thinking about playoff-ready defenses. I'm thinking about how that fits in the context of a playoff series, adjustments and all that kind of stuff, matchups and whatnot. But is there anything else that you're thinking about when you hear that question? Like, what does it mean to be the best defense as a team in the NBA right now? I've been thinking about this a lot, Ben. I used to, I used to subscribe to the time machine theory where I was like, all right, if you're the best defense, like if I just drag in def- different defenses or different offenses from different time periods, like can this team guard Kobe and Shaq? Can they also guard like the 87, 86 Celtics? Can they also guard like the 2017 Warriors, right? Like that's wow. how I used to do. But then I'm yeah. like, that's ridiculous. Like that's that's a kind of a silly way to look at defenses because defenses are constructed to defend the league that they're in at that moment. So I do like to think about like, all right, let's look at the the competition right now. Let's look at the players that are going to be like, you know, doing well in the playoffs. Are they adequately prepared to handle players like that? So I think it's like I'm looking mostly, Ben, and I don't know if you do the same thing. I'm looking at flexibility on defense, like schematic flexibility. Are you able to throw uh, a bunch of different reads out there to defend a bunch of different players and schemes that we would actually be seeing in the league today? Is that sort of in the in the ballpark of what you're looking at? Yeah, and I I really love that you honed in on the playoff the playoff distribution, the 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 actual realistic opponents that you're going to have in front of you because We can do this. We can take a quick snapshot survey of the best 10 or 15 teams and say, do they all play motion offense? Do they all play heavy spread pick and roll? Are they up-tempo or are they slow? We can actually look at the current landscape in this season. And that's something that I think I do a little bit, but I really like that you're focusing on saying, all right, if we pick one of these top defenses, if we go over to the Thinking Basketball board, thinkingbasketball.net that we share with our top tier Patreon subscribers. We can see right now, Minnesota has the best defense in the league by, by a good amount. Um, we're going to talk about why in a second we're going to talk about, we're going get to get into all the fun stuff there. But Houston's there, Boston's there. If we sort by the best teams in the league, that means we need to be able to have that Minnesota defense match up well with potentially an Eastern Conference team in the finals like the Celtics or Philadelphia or Milwaukee, wherever comes out of the East, and then the best teams in the Western Conference, Oklahoma City, Denver, uh, the Clippers, the... I'm sorry, we're not allowed to talk about the Clippers. What do they have, a seven-game win streak now? We're not... Yeah, we might be forced... Our hand might be forced soon enough. Here Let's get it up to... We should ask the audience, actually. We should take a poll... At when we have to when we have to talk about the Clippers again, how long does the win streak have to be? But you see what I'm saying, right? You can you can actually sort of gauge how versatile and how well prepared they are for the different kinds of opponents by looking specifically at the teams they're going to the Dallas Mavericks, Sacramento Kings, whatever. Uh, and that's certainly the approach that that I think I would take. Yeah, and I don't know. Do you do you consider teams that are mostly in that team's conference? Like, cause I think about like uh, when the Warriors were really at their apex and they were doing the small ball thing, and we talked about this transition from small ball to big ball, and maybe it was a misnomer, maybe it was a weird epoch of the NBA, but it felt like the Rockets were really the only team that was like 
going for it at that time, and they explicitly built a team that was like, we can switch everything because if we're going to win a championship, we have to get through this team to even get to the finals. So do you look at interconference stuff at all? Like, do you do you care about that as much? Or are you looking at like, hey, everyone in the East is going to have to get through the best team in the West uh, regardless. So th- does that matter to you at all? I, I would look at the interconferences. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're trying to predict it, you focus heavily on just the one conference because you're only going to have one opponent in the finals from the other conference. But as of right now, we don't know. There might be three or four Eastern teams that could be there if you're looking at a Western team. And if you're looking at an Eastern team, there might be 11 or 12 Western teams that could be. No, I don't think the West is that wide open, but you, you get the point. Like there's there's a lot to to survey. I just think the general spirit of like looking at how these teams match up with the other top teams is probably the direction that I'm interested in. Yeah. Okay. So we're looking at the the leaderboard right now, thinkingbasketball.net. Like you just said, the Timberwolves have the best defense in the league for by a mile. By, I don't yeah. know what word I'm trying to say. They're like, they're like eight points ahead of league average. at 7.7 or something as of today. That's ridiculous. That's a huge number, Ben. So isn't, yeah. isn't, isn't this an open and shut case? Like, why, why aren't we just looking at this and saying, hey, this is the best numerical team like by a mile defensively, the Timberwolves are the best defense going forward. Like, why isn't that good enough in your mind? Who's the second best defense in the league on that board? Isn't it the Houston Rockets? Is it currently the Houston Rockets? Uh, it is the Houston Rockets. They are six points mm. better than the league. So we're going to get to Minnesota, but I will ask you. Do you think the Houston Rockets are the second best defense in the league simply because after 23 games they have posted the second, you know, most efficient defense by defensive rating? You know, I think the Rockets have some interesting defensive pieces. Uh, but if I were to actually say, like, if I'm picking teams that I'm going to be most comfortable going into the playoffs with, I'll be honest, Rockets probably aren't in my top. They're probably not in my top two. I think they're a frisky little defense. I like watching them defense defensively, uh, but they're not. They're not in my top two. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, right. So I think in the same vein, uh, we still don't have the biggest sample size to judge these things. We're interested in high-level competition. We're interested in versatility. Teams have different health. And the big one so far for the Minnesota Timberwolves is shooting luck, Hmm. okay? Because if you look at open and wide-open shooting threes, which we track on that thinkingbasketball.net board, the Timberwolves are getting, Cody, almost four points per game boosted to their defense. So that defensive rating, if it's minus eight or whatever compared to the league, it's going to come down closer to minus four 
if teams shot the way we expected them to shoot league average open and wide open threes. Now, if you're curious, at the end of the year, some teams are a little bit better over 82 games and some teams are a little bit worse. Uh, it doesn't always have to regress all the way to league average because, you know, it's the way it's done when you've got Rudy Gobert, Jaden McDaniels closing out at you and screaming on a, you know, Anthony Edwards yelling across the gym as he as he closes out on you. Maybe you shoot a little bit worse when you have weaker defenders. Maybe you shoot a little bit better. But that difference is always like one, maybe two points tops. It it There's a lot of threes that are taken. And when they're they're open for a reason, and at the end of the year, it doesn't come out to a, you know four or five points a game. Right now, Houston's still at five points of game per luck. So if you're deep scouting the Houston Rockets and you're watching them and you're like, okay, Alperen Shengun's been better in the middle, and they've got Ime Udoka, and they've got more, you know, Dylan Brooks, and they've got Jabari Smith is out there. You you, you can see how they're a better defense and how they're solid on that end, but you also might see things that lead you to say, oh, wow, well, that was that was a soft possession, or they, they got a lot of open threes in that game, and it just turns out they didn't make those open threes. So the shooting luck is one part of it. The other big one for me early in the season right now is strength of schedule, and that's another thing we try to adjust for and keep track of. And specifically with the Timberwolves, they have played very poor offenses to start the year. And so that's another thing where we are making the calculation as a community relative to the league average. We're saying the Timberwolves are, you know, 7.7 points better than league average or whatever. But if you actually go in and start to look at uh, the offensive rating of the opponents that they've played, league average offensive rating might be 116 points per 100. And the Timberwolves average offensive opponent might be like 114 or 115 or something like that. So you're picking up more points that way. And that is why in our adjusted defensive rating stat that we publish, Minnesota is not even number one in the league, despite having that huge edge in raw defensive rating. So that is why Cody, my friend, it is not an open and shut case. Why? Okay. Can you explain for the the listeners just really broadly what is adjusted defensive rating? We, like what goes into that stat? We ad- we adjust for shooting luck and we adjust for opponent quality. That that is the that is sort of the biggest difference between that and raw defensive rating. I think the one of the most difficult things about evaluating defense, Ben, is kind of like what you said. There's a lot of numerical. I don't want to say anomalies, but there's a lot of numerical levers to kind of pay attention to, right? You can't just, like, look at the specific numbers and be like, this team is better because their defensive rating is better, yada, yada, yada. What's really interesting, if you dive into the numbers even more, like, Rudy Gobert, rim protector, like, god mode again this season. Like, he looks incredible protecting the paint. But then you, like, look, and I think just recently... Their defense is actually better when he's on the court versus when he's off. Like for a good chunk of the season, there's a period of time where their defense. Would... Do do you disagree it's, with me? It's it's now about a point better. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Is now yeah. for the first time the defense is better when he's okay, on the yeah, court yeah. versus yeah. when he's off. But then you like tease it out even more, and if you look at the numbers when he and McDaniel's are on the court together. Uh, they're like seven points better when Gobert's on the court without McDaniel's than when we're on together. 
And there's just like, when you look at those numbers, right? Because the defensive rating is like a 105 when Gobert's on without McDaniels, about 500 minutes. And it's like a 111.8 when they're on together. And there's just no way you can look at those numbers and be like, yeah, that defense definitely better when Jaden McDaniels is on the bench. Like, you can't watch the game and actually think that. So there's a lot of like, sure, you look at the numbers, and I think the numbers give you kind of like a nice like baseline. Like, you look at the spread and be like, all right, maybe we should pay attention to these 15 teams. But then there's also some projection right there's a lot of projection of looking at these guys and being like okay like you just said what's kind of the tenor of the league what do offenses look like what are some of the best teams that they're going to be facing look like how do we imagine this team going forward and playing them and maybe that's kind of hard to imagine when you see a team that hasn't played a lot of strong offensive talent so far this season but I think that's the uh subjective aspect of this exercise and trying to project who's the best defense is like playing the like theoretical hypothetical situation where it's like okay how good is this defense actually if we put him in a different situation yeah I mean just to further drive the point home when both Rudy Gobert and Jane McDaniels are off the court this season for Minnesota which is 300 minutes they have a 108 defensive rating which is like seven or eight points better than the league and that is because teams are shooting under 30% on their threes in those minutes. And we very much expect once that gets up to 750 minutes or 1200 minutes or whatever, that it will go back to the more normal 33, 34, whatever, whatever the team allows as a opponent three point shooting number, 35%. So I I think we're on the same page in how we come at this. Now let's actually come at it. Mm -hmm. The Timberwolves this season. First of all, I think let's, let's start in the sort of periphery, if we will. The personnel is a little different than last year. So you had D'Angelo Russell last year for 50-something games as the starting point guard. Now it's Mike Conley. Mike Conley's still a small guard, and he's very much, you know, on the back nine of his career. He's an older player, but he's very smart out there. He has an understanding of what's going on, and so you will see possessions where he's making key rotations and understanding the schemes that they want to run, changing between different coverages and zones and and things like that. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, excellent off the bench as a a defender. Man man defense, length, that is a consistent theme with Minnesota. Anthony Edwards, he was there last year, but he's a year older. So Anthony Edwards this year, the awareness is better. He's just bigger physically right? He's just starting to fill out. He's turning 20, you know, he's 22 years old now this season. Carl Anthony Towns missed most of last season. Carl Anthony, so they didn't really get to get too much, iron too many of the kinks out, right? They have this experiment with Gobert and Towns. I don't remember the exact number. He played 20 games or something like that. But this season, I don't know if Towns is a little svelter, but his reactions have been faster his second efforts have been better. So you tag a guy and then you recover. And all of this, Cody, comes together when you get a healthy, blossoming Jaden McDaniels. You get Anthony Edwards. You get Nikhil Alexander-Walker out there. You get Mike Conley. You get another high IQ guy in Kyle Anderson. And now you've got this sort of nasty, long, rangy defensive team that can play multiple coverages and they can play against the best teams in the league. And I think we've seen this consistently throughout the first quarter of the season 
Are we past the quarter of the season? Yeah, we're past the oh, first yeah, quarter definitely. of the season. Yeah. yeah. Um, the first trimester. We've seen this in the first trimester. They have played these elite teams. And like the other day against Dallas, they were down like 17-2. Total sucker punch to start the game. Mavs were like making four-point plays and things like that. And they just changed the coverage a little bit. Tighten the screws. We're gonna, Luca. We're gonna pick you up at half court. Say hello to my friend Nikhil Alexander Walker. Oh, did you like some of that? Say hello to my friend Jaden McDaniels. Did you enjoy some Jaden McDaniels? How about a little Anthony Edwards in your shorts for the next ten possessions? And then when those guys are tired or they're off the court, we'll give you Kyle Anderson, who's like six eight. The team is ginormous. I mean, they start two seven footers. So. There's, there's a lot going on there to like. The question is, where does this defense fall between like the average-ish numbers they put up last year and the totally insane elite raw numbers that they have right now? Well, I mean, the average-ish numbers, I think a big part of it is Rudy Gobert didn't look like Rudy Gobert last season. And I think, I, I don't know if you agree with this. I do, think Rudy do you Gobert, buy that? You think do last you, year? he? Do you not think that he looked worse last season? I, I think he looked a little worse. Um but I think some of that was at the beginning of the year. I think as the year went on, he looked more like what you're typically going to get from Rudy Gobert. I mean, Cody, you are you are the master of the rim protection numbers. I mean, his rim protection numbers were absurd last year, right? I think didn't at the end of the season he he churned out you know another great impact season protecting the paint. So that's the thing with the Timberwolves, right? And that's the big discourse about them is when they met the Nuggets without Jaden McDaniels because he'd broken his hand right before the series, they played them very well. And I thought, you know, I think Rudy Gobert probably defended Jokic better than anyone else in the playoffs. And by that time, it was starting to look like the Rudy Gobert that we saw. But I do think like that big chunk of the beginning of the season, right? Like there was a big chunk where like the motor didn't seem like he was, he was there. He wasn't contesting as many shots as like feverishly as he usually does. That started off like... He came out with a bang, like he was ready to go with that, right? And then you hit on the other big thing. We talked about the big ball era right now that's going on. This team's enormous. Like Mike Conley's a small guard, right? Like 6'1". Shake Milton, I actually don't know how tall he is, but I don't necessarily think he's a very tall dude. But beyond that, like, you know, Kyle Anderson, that's a big guy out there. Nas Reed, I don't know if you mentioned Nas Reed, but he's a nice little defender. He can hedge out. He can defend at the level like we were talking about. There's a pick and roll. He can step out and stop a ball handler. He's got a little bit of rim protection drops. He's a fluid athlete. I don't know, man. If, when we're talking about some of the teams that like rely on size, like if you think about like a Lakers-Timberwolves matchup, if those kinds of teams match up, I think the Timberwolves would be able to match the Lakers mm. basically like pound for pound literally out there. Uh, I don't know. I think that would be an extremely physical series. And if we're talking about like any kind of physical defense in the NBA, pretty sure the Timberwolves could probably hang with anyone in the league. Well, that's a really interesting matchup question because the Lakers don't necessarily have a good offensive team. But to go back to what we said at the top, when I start breaking down a playoff series in April or May when the teams match up, one of the immediate things I do is say, let's stick with one side of the ball here. The Timberwolves defense versus the Lakers offense. I don't necessarily care about the Lakers average offensive rating against the league because that's a number that they generated against the entire league. My question is, can the Lakers get what they want on offense to generate a similar offensive rating or better? Or does the opponent take that away? And this is where sometimes I think you see offenses in the regular season in the NBA these days that are okay 
they, let's say they're like the 17th best offense in the league or the 20th best offense in the league. And then they have a lot of defensive personnel and they make the playoffs and they're a sixth seed or whatever. And then they go play an elite defense and they're, they're like 10 or 15 points per 100 below their season rating. And on one hand, we could say, I think our natural instinct is to say like, ah, it's a small sample. It's, it's not a big deal. But I do think, Cody, there are times where we see that level of success from a defense, even against an average offense. So if the Lakers offense is average and the Timberwolves can take away that, then I just don't expect the Lakers to get near 115 mm-hmm. in the playoff. It's like maybe 110, maybe 108. Like that's the stuff I start to think about when we look at a matchup specific situation. And I think you're right. I think the Timberwolves, that size makes them so interesting. The versatility question is the other question. Mm-hmm. Because... With Gobert, the reputation is like, well, he's very rigid because he's a rim protector. He's a traditional drop big man. I think he's always been a little bit more mobile than people want to give him credit for. Frankly, I think think that's why he's had such an incredible career as a defender with multi-time defensive player of the years. And, uh, you know, for a number of years, like a walking top five one-man defense with the Utah Jazz to the point where Utah was like, what if we just kept trading away more and more defensive players? What if we tried that strategy for a long time? So he's a little more mobile, I think, than people give him credit for. So you will see Minnesota bringing him up to the level of the screen and not always dropping. You will see them mixing up coverages like a, like a, a little hedge coverage or coming out and showing and sliding with the ball handler, two on the ball and pick and roll and then recovering. And that's where that like length and range and winginess comes into play where, go back to the Nuggets last year, if you can't exploit Nikola Jokic doing that, then with Minnesota, Jaden McDaniels, Anthony Edwards, all these guys behind the play, um, you know, I'm not sure I would say they're not versatile. They, they throw zones at you. They throw different coverages at you. They're not the most versatile defense in the world, but I also don't think they're a rigid, flexible defense if you're thinking about this team being like one of these old Utah Gobert teams. So I think there's an interesting discussion here between like rigidity and like efficacy in like how flexible you are, right? Like Rudy Gobert can step out and defend in space a little bit, but it's also kind of like putting Trey Young in the corner or like putting Steve Nash in the corner. Like these guys can shoot and they're going to be wide open and they're going to add effectiveness offensively by doing that. But you're like hamstringing the main thing that makes them such offensive weapons, right? And Gobert not being in the paint is doing the same thing. Can he do it? Sure. But like then you lose so much of the potency that the Timberwolves are bringing that like if that's not the scheme, if the scheme isn't a drop sort of defense, Brooke Lopez with the buck sort of thing, I just don't think they have like that huge sting that would put them up uh, to be like, I don't know, one of the best defenses. I don't even want to say anything at this point. But you lose that sting that really puts them there with the like the highest, highest level defenses, right? And then when I even think about uh, flexibility, sure, they can play some flexible coverages, but like, can't you see some of their players being targeted a little bit? Like, in a playoff series, I'm still not sure if I trust Towns. Like, I'm sure offenses would probably target him. Mike Conley, again, with his size, as good of a defender as he is at, like, dodging screens and just knowing what to do, he's really small, Rip, and he's really small against some of these bigger teams. And then again, if you're able to take advantage of these while keeping Gobert out of the paint, I think there are some holes 
that you can aim. There's there's a there's a hole in Smog's armor here, Ben, that you can aim for, and I think it's possible for like playoff offenses to figure that out and take advantage of some of their weaknesses. Well, I think the other thing is the players who have demonstrated growth within this system, awareness, communication. We talked about Carl Anthony Towns. I mentioned Anthony Edwards. I didn't even mention Nas Reed, who's another one who's in that category of just younger players getting better and more experienced because every time we mention Nas Reed, we got to go on like a 15-minute tangent about how great Nas Reed. Cody hit seven threes. He's hit seven threes in the Dallas game the other day. The man's previous career high in three-point shooting was four threes made. He's shooting 92% from the free throw line to start the year. He's over 40% from th- What if Nas Reed is an elite shooter? Is Nas Reed unstoppable? Could he be an elite defender? let's get back on track um actually let's be off track for a second so for one of my classes i have a student that was able to like photoshop a book into nas reed like going up with a finger roll and you know it says mr hodex like english class in there so now i call him nas reeds because he has a book there and that's just like the picture for it so i get to see nas reed every day when i'm at work and uh that, that's really all I wanted to say. Nasri rules. The jelly fam in the classroom from, uh, from Cody. Yeah. Uh, okay. So all that said, all that said, I think the question in my head with Minnesota is how many of those breakdowns are still there? How many of those youthful moments, how much lack of awareness? Because for everything I've said, none of those guys are great in those categories. You can still turn on Timberwolves games and see a botched communication here and there. You can see a missed rotation here and there. If nine times out of 10, you're getting a great second effort this year, that 10th time you're still getting the like, well, you, you no, you do it. No, Kat, you go do it. You rotate to the outside. So overall, I just like the numbers believe that this is one of the best defenses in the league. It might be the best defense in the league. We have some more to discuss. But yeah. this is where I'm in my head. I'm like, there's there's, there's some great strengths that they have. They're going to be a pain in the butt for certain teams. And I'm so psyched to see if they can just dial it up to 10 and just smother someone for a series. But I'm also not convinced that there aren't ways to attack it either with you know side-to-side motion great dribble penetration and decision making drive and kick if you have a lot of shooting things like that it's 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 a very uh big question in my head moving forward i'm looking at the i don't know if we want to go this deep in like all of these defense offense no we no we we we, we got to move on we just we've I, been stuck i was just looking at the the teams here and i'm like oh what offense which which team in the west do they not want to face Right, because I do think the Lakers are an interesting matchup for them, and now I just want that because I'm pretty sure the offensive rating would be like 98 throughout the series, and it would be just incredible basketball. Uh, I don't know who would be tough for them. Maybe somebody like I think the Thunder might be an interesting, like an interestingly tough matchup for them. Yeah, and I was thinking that as well, but of course they had a great game recently against the Thunder down the stretch, and Gobert gave uh, Chet Holmgren. Uh, possible rookie of the year, Chad Holmgren, uh, gave him. Yeah, you, oh, you're booking it, locked and loaded. Absolutely, yeah. I thought, you know, Cody, I was trying to do a hot take on the pod, you know, little tongue and cheek thing on the podcast. You know how much the audience loves when I do hot takes about anything. They like to send us very positive messages. By the by the way, by the way, oh, oh. thank you very much. If you listen on Spotify and you comment on Spotify, I love getting the comments on Spotify. I have no idea how they work because when we push out the podcast on Spotify, we have a different interface than when you actually like use and listen. So I just get them like pushed into the episode. And it's the cool, we open up an episode, we get the handful of comments 
uh, from it, just please. I, I I love the Spotify comments. Um, only if they're nice. Only if they're nice. Usually, yeah. I told we need a default. We need code for if they just. I did not care for this episode. That's that's what the code should be. <laughs> if you have something negative to say, what are we talking about? The Orlando Magic. Yeah. Oh, do you want to talk about the Magic next? I was talking about um, how Gobert had fared very well against Holmgren, especially yeah. down the stretch in the fourth quarter of that game. But there's style, you know, it is a style make fight kind of thing where the Thunder playing a bunch of small point guardy type guys, the f- lot of a lot of drive and kick, slash from the outside. That would be a really interesting matchup. I, I know Minnesota matches up well and gave Denver fits, and I think they just give Denver fits, period. This year, last year, maybe till the end of time. But of course if you're Minnesota, I'm not sure you want to play Denver. Right. I mean, that that was almost a sweep last year. So yeah. Minnesota is going to improve and they're going to make that a much better series when they or if if they were to meet again in the playoffs. That's the kind of series that you could see like a six or seven game grind. Uh, but that would be another offense, obviously, that I think could do good work against the Timberwolves defense. You want to talk about the magic? Well, we don't we've talked lately on this episode or on the show. Excuse me. We've talked about the magic in some great detail. Not we've enough. talked we've talked about <laughs> we've done enough for Cody. Uh we've talked about the Los Angeles Lakers defense coming off the NBA Cup in some detail. So I don't want to rehash that. What I'm doing right now in my head is trying to figure out everything we just talked about with the Wolves. How does that apply to some of these other defenses? Like, are the Lakers truly the most versatile defense because the centerpiece of their theoretical playoff defense is healthy Anthony Davis and it's just like with him and LeBron as a tandem you could do whatever you want you could go big and and play twin towers and I guess they would use like Jackson Hayes that's a lineup I've seen occasionally where they have the double bigs uh Cam Reddish Cam Reddish is a huge dude he's out there hawking point guards so you can play ginormous you can play small you can play switchy you can play different schemes we know Darvin Ham will do that I mean we have we didn't get into the coaching on those other two teams uh, I think the coaching is another element to think about, Cody. How has the coach demonstrated he's going to use these players in different schemes? Uh, and when we get to Boston in a second, uh, I'll bring that point up. But, you know, some of these other defenses, are you throwing a Cleveland in there? Who else is in this conversation for you? And how do you think they size up if Minnesota is sort of the standard that we need to beat? Well, man. Stand. I mean, Cleveland, I think Cleveland is really interesting. I mean, obviously, Mobley's out for like eight to ten weeks at this point. Would he have like knee surgery or something like that? So if he's not there, obviously, the defense just isn't isn't exactly what we want it to be. I, I think the Grizzlies weirdly have like they still have a potential to at least be knocking on the door of this conversation when you have Jaron Jackson, if Marcus Smart comes back and they start coalescing a little bit more. I even, thought that, like even the, with Jaw, you think? Even when Jaw comes back, he has a he has a history of knocking the defense in the other direction. He does have a uh, history of that, but he's also going to help the offense a lot. And, you know, we know there's like a synergistic idea between like offense, defense, and maybe it takes the burden off some of these guys and you're able to play some of these defensive players a little bit more. And Jaron Jackson isn't as taxed offensively, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I I don't want to knock, like knock them out because I think like early in the season, their defense looked pretty weak. And I think it's steadily improved throughout the season as, you know, I think there was a graphic um, at Sraven, Sraven, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name, uh, on Twitter had this graphic where, like, the teams that have missed, like, the the most amount of, like, player minutes throughout the season and the Grizzlies, without even counting John Morant or Steven Adams, because it was, like, a minimum played, like, 500 minutes, they were, like, 
I think, number two in the league. So this is a team that's just been decimated uh, by injuries. And I think when they're fully healthy, I think that defense really could make a, a nasty swing against the rest of the league. Also a defense that might not even make it into the playoffs, though, mm-hmm. at, at this rate. Um, so, okay, if if I just ask you point blank before we talk about the Celtics, mm-hmm. do you think either Orlando or the Lakers is a better defense than Minnesota? This is a – oh, my – that's really a tough question. I mean, let's start with the Lakers for a second. It's the Anthony Davis of it all, then. Are we getting the playoff Anthony Davis that we talked about? Because if we are, and, you know, LeBron James had a down postseason last season, but that seemed to be a lot of injury, right? I think he was coming off a foot injury that hampered him a lot. So, I don't know. I hate hinging on that Pacers game so much, the NBA Cup final, Ben, but uh, that looked pretty solid when they were able to ramp up against what we see as, like, the best offense in the league. So let's say the jury's out, but I think they're in competition with the, the Timberwolves. Personally... Can I say something really hot? Can oh yeah, it's really that. Hot? Let's let's check. We are yes, we're past the halfway point of the show. Now you can let it all out. I think if the chips fall properly, Ben, I think the Magic might have the highest defensive potential in the league right now this season. Yeah, I do. Uh, I have I have I have a very hard question for you personally. Does yes. that involve Goga Patate starting, or does that involve Wendell Carter Jr. coming back? That's my point. Is when the chips fall, they're both in the rotation, right? You're going back and forth between them. My idea is also you can have Jonathan Isaac playing like 25, 30 minutes a game. Like if those three guys, the rotation for the bigs, and you know, will one team that everyone's thinking about right now is like really? You think they're better than like the Celtics? We'll get to the Celtics in a second. I, I have thoughts on on all of this, but. If you think about, like, the best defensive guard rotations, like, I think the Magic probably have that, like, down, right? Like, I don't know if there's any better defensive duo than, say, Derek White and and Drew Holiday, but, the, like, the depth that the Magic bring. Like, they can throw out so many of these guards. I talked about it last time or one of the times before. Cole Anthony is the smallest player on the team at 6'2", and you have, like, Anthony Black, who's 6'7". You have Jalen Suggs, who's willing to injure himself multiple times in a week getting weak side blocks, Who's, like, doing the Tom Chambers, like, elevating himself up to try and, like, reject, like, Boston Celtics in transition? Like, the motor that some of these guys play with is is unbelievable. Franz Wagner, he's just, like, arms all over the place. And, and even Paolo Bancaro, like, these are, like, strong big dudes that you could just play a massive lineup but also not give up anything in the guard rotation, which I think, like, the Lakers and the Timberwolves can do. They, they don't have the jitterbug defenders that the Magic have. I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm envisioning a lineup that's just, like, the best lineup in the league. Mm. Defensively. Defensively. Mm. Defensively. Yeah. I think the I think the Isaac situation mm-hmm. is a big tipping point. That's the hinge, that's the hinge point. Like, the yeah, whole thing I falls think, apart if it's not him. Yeah, yeah. I think if Isaac is out there, Isaac, Suggs, Franz, slash, Paolo, uh, who else are your filler pieces in these, like, Anthony Black, Gary Harris, and then one of pick some bigs you can play they're, they're already giants so you can play small but they obviously do very well with both Wendell Carter Jr. and uh, for the time being Goga Batatse out there so uh, by the way statistically uh, the Magic have a great defense and they are near the top of the league in our adjusted defensive ratings as are the Lakers the Lakers have played it's not a one game thing mm-hmm. I think Cody was being a little tongue-in-cheek there um, the Lakers have actually played very well defensively this season and of course they uh, were very good in the playoffs last season. And in 2020, the last time we saw Anthony Davis healthy 
in the playoffs before that, they were spectacular en route to the championship. Let's finish with the Celtics. Mm-hmm. Who, I, I mean, I don't know. For my money, they may be the best defense in the league, especially when you think of a playoff cycle. The one question I have with them, mm-hmm. what, what, what do you, what, what do you think it's going to be? I, I think you're going to bring up their bigs situation. I am, and more specifically, what do you? I, I haven't think, even. Yeah, go ahead. I think you're going to bring up the Kristaps Porzingis of it all, aren't you? sort of I was actually thinking about uh older players and the difference between December and May with older players and if Al Horford is due because remember a couple years ago Al Horford we had the incredible fountain of youth game against your I know it's a painful memory for you but your Milwaukee Bucks um and that was two years ago you know by the time we get to the playoffs it's going to be two full trips around the sun that's how astronomy works, I think. Uh, but like you see, you see what I'm saying, right? The the Horford and the Bigs gives them a certain kind of flexibility that I think is really important with their roster construction because they've gotten minutes out of like Luke Cornett, but I don't think you're gonna get in the playoffs. You're not you're not relying on the Luke Cornett situation to really give you great high-level defensive versatility and performance against different types of teams when you need to run different types of coverages. So I do think Horford's key. And in my head, maybe there's like, if you're just the starting five and you're just Porzingis and you're just in that drop, stay low to the basket situation, I wonder if that can get you a higher ceiling than these other defenses. Okay, so, you know, I brought up Chris Staff's Porzingis mostly to bring up like just the the rotation for the bigs like you just did right like like Kata comes off the bench like minimally but there are times where he's out there I'm like this guy's got some chops like I'm interested who? to see who I, who I, Kata I think his last name is who so what team are we talking about the Celtics, the Celtics. oh okay yes all yeah. right yes I know Q-U-E-T-A. I apologize Celtics yes. spoke but I think it's yes. Kata I think it's sorry Kata. in my head he's just number 88 I think no. <laughs> this is this shows the difference this is why we play guess that number on this show uh keep going Cody but yeah that's a physical big force that's able to block some shots and he's played very minimal minutes but I think my overall point with that is like I was watching a Celtics game the other day I think they were playing the Cavaliers Lamar Stevens at 6-6 was starting at center right and, like, this isn't, like, a huge advantage spacing-wise because this isn't a guy that's going to, like, hit you with, like, the five-out spacing. He's going to hit some threes and things like that. They just, like, I don't know if Kristaps Porzingis is injured, and I don't know what's going on with Al Horford in that situation. Their big rotation is just, like, they do not have flexibility that, like, the Magic have in terms of, like, the size they can throw out there for the classic big uh, lineups. But if we're just talking, like, their starting lineups and we're talking about, like, a healthy Kristaps Porzingis... I don't know, Ben. I think he's a really interesting defensive force to look at because if we look at just straight-up rim protection, shot blocking, things like that, he's pretty fantastic. He, I think he was better a few years ago. I think he's lost some athleticism after like a series of injuries and just I, – I don't know even know how old he is at this point, but he can't be like more than 28, 29, 27. I'm not even sure. But I think the litany of injuries have kind of brought back some of that athleticism. But the length, you can't argue against that. Right When guys are driving into them, he's got a huge uh, protection radius where he's defending the rim. He gets his hands on a lot of blocked shots, especially when he's roaming off ball a little bit more. He does have some weaknesses as a big man, but as a classic like drop defender, this is a guy that you can like you know you can somewhat hang your hat on, uh, especially when you have the rest of the defensive personnel surrounding him. Can we take a step back 
and talk about this Celtics starting lineup mm-hmm. and just how good it is, where everyone is focused on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum traditionally for good reason. But basically in the last few years, they've added Drew, they've added Porzingis, and the other guy they've added is Derek White. And I don't know if you've noticed lately, but Derek White is absolutely balling, Cody. The He's, he's just really good. And you start on the defensive end with him. His ability to get up into people, chase them around screens, be disruptive, switch, guard multiple positions. And I feel like once every game, Derek White is doing something that's like incredibly high IQ sneaky, like coming in coming in from behind and stealing an offensive rebound or something like that. Or he does this Michael Jordan thing where he kind of f- flies in from the perimeter and blocks shots from behind at the basket. He can he can protect the rim that way. He can fly over that way and get steals. He is just a very slippery, sneaky, versatile, big guard who can protect the rim a little bit, play all over the floor. And that's just sort of like this defensive baseline that he provides right out of the gate. Then you have Kristaps Porzingis, as you mentioned, drop big man, protecting the rim. Uh, Last year, I think in Washington was the best year of his career. And he's picked up right where he left off in Boston on the offensive side of the court for Przingis, the pick and pop game and the fact that they actually can get a little more than just his shooting out of that. Like you'll actually see plays with gravity. You'll see plays where two defenders go to the pop. And I actually think it was against the Cavs. Derek White came down the lane and was the one who ball faked knowing that two defenders would bite back toward Porzingis's shot. So you get the IQ of these players working together. You get Porzingis on the perimeter, drawing gravity and opening up offense. And it all just fits around the stars really well. And they just have this unbelievable starting lineup that goes both ways. Yeah, offensively too. And, and talking about Kristaps Porzingis, I don't think his three-point percentage is particularly high when you look at the last couple of years of like his wide-open three-point percentage. I think it's probably, I thought it was around 35 or so, but the volume and the quickness and the release point he has and the fact that he can, like the Ryan Anderson and like the twenty late 2010s Rockets where he's just able to pull up from like four or five feet behind the line, it just makes it like impossible for most big men to try and contest him properly to stay in front. And, you know, he can sometimes put it on the deck and he gets in, but he's a lot more comfortable taking that jump shot and that just provides incredible spacing but the other side of that ball is like you have both Drew Holiday and Derek White who are very comfortable hanging out like around the paint like there are so many possessions where Drew Holiday is just like going back and forth between the dunker spots and making plays there like one of my favorite one of my favorite plays of the season is the only two Celtics players that are like within the three-point line maybe there's someone else hanging out but I think those are the two main guys are Derek White like in the middle of the paint and then Drew Holiday like under the basket. And Derek White gets a pass like in the paint and he immediately does like a high low pass down to Drew Holiday who immediately like touch passes it to Jalen Brown. Wide open three. Story's over, right? No, Ben. Story's not over. Brown misses. (laughs) Drew Holiday like Tyson Chandler offensive tips it out to Derek White who has now popped out to the three, to the arc and buries the wide open three. 
And over the last couple of years, Derek White's been an incredible, like, wide-open three-point shooter. It's like something like 42 or 41%, right? And when you have two, like, your two smalls, your two guards are offensive rebounding, high-low passing, uh, kicking out for three. Unbelievable flexibility, especially when your big man's, like, propensity is to stand behind the line and, like, shoot a bunch of threes. They're just, like, we talked about how funky, like, OKC's offensive construction is and the weird things that they can do schematically. Boston's right there with the way that, like, obviously Tatum and Brown, we know what they're able to do. But the interplay between these three other guys is just so cool. It's just so cool to watch. So, in the Cavs game the other day, they started with a more traditional look where they had Porzingis guarding Jared Allen. And the Cavs had a ton of success with those small guards against this drop coverage that the Celtics were running with Porzingis. So, you know, after some Garland, Mitchell, threes, whatever, drives, whatever, they come back in the second half and Coach Joe Mazzulla is like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to stick Jason Tatum on the center, Jared Allen, and we're going to take Porzingis. We're going to put him on a non-shooter. We've seen them do this with Drew Holiday where he guards the center. We talked about this. We had an entire video uh, earlier in the season on this. And so all of a sudden, now Porzingis can roam and stay closer to the basket simply because of the versatility of all these other players that allows this to happen. Uh, your, your Derek Whites and Drew Holidays and all these guys that just make this possible. And so you end up with this uh, great sort of cat and mouse game where the Celtics have success moving Porzingis away from the ball. So the Cavs are like, man, we got to find a way to get Porzingis back into the ball screen. So let's get like Dean Wade to come up and see if we can have him set the ball screen. Uh, But of course, the Celtics will just pre-switch that. If the Cavs are like, let's see if we can switch Porzingis back on to Jared Allen because we know the Celtics like to switch. See if we can bring him up to set the ball screen. Again, you get the pre-switch where they switch behind the play, keep Porzingis low. You can only do that, Cody, because you have Derek White, because you have uh, uh, Drew Holiday, because you have Tatum and Brown, all these guys who are big and strong and versatile. And I think it makes them a great defense and they fit well on offense. Like Derek White's skill sets on offense, what's he really good at? Making decisions, quickly acting, very quick release on his shot. So he can run offense and make decisions like I'm going to drive into that space because of the way the defense is playing and finish with my little scoop touch shot that I have or whatever. Or if you go under the screen and give me space, I can quickly cross and pull up for three because I'm comfortable doing that, even though I'm not a traditional like offensive self-generator and then attack closeouts uh, when someone else creates an advantage and make good decisions there. It all really fits together nicely on both ends for Boston and that starting five is just crushing people right now um it looks like it's dropped a little bit more but I think like recently Derek White was shooting like 78 percent at the rim and I'm looking at uh play-by-play stats right now he's shooting 74 percent at the rim this season and I know that's quite a bit higher than it's ever been in the past last season it was like 65 percent and then he's hovered around 60 percent or whatever else so I think he's just making like great use of like the offensive flow and the the ability to kind of like use the spacing of these other guys and the interplay between them I really don't want to undersell just how good Jason Tatum is though like defensively like you were just talking about you can just throw him on a center and we've talked about like Jim Corner here big buff dude he's also like huge <laughs> like tall dude 
He's got some muscle. You can't just like hammer him down into the basket, so you're able to switch him around him and use them in these flexible positions. Uh, so I don't know. When you look at this particular starting lineup, both offensively and defensively, for my money, probably the best offensive lineup or the best lineup period in the NBA. Um, defensively, like we're talking about today, I still probably think that's the case like for my money like that's the that's the squad I want to go into the playoffs with just because of everything that we've talked about and it's not just like on ball stuff like we've talked about either like you know Derek White you know I think when we did like the top 15 or the top defenders of the last 15 years during this last offseason I think Derek White was six sixth on my list and he might even be better defensively than last season uh probably like the best rim protecting guard in the NBA the best rim protecting guard we've seen since I don't even know when. Like, he blocks Goga Bataze, like, at the rim, and then immediately next plays, like, playing at the nail, and he strips like a driver. It's such a flexible defender, right? And I'm like, I'm the Drew Holiday guy. And every time I watch Derek White, I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is just, like, the key to everything that they're doing out there. So this Celtic squad has, like, a special sauce on both ends of the court. And here's the crazy thing to me. We usually don't talk a lot about transactions on this show, but just thinking about how this lineup fits together so well from a basketball standpoint, got me thinking about how they were assembled. And it's kind of crazy because Derek White, he was traded from the Spurs to the Celtics for Romeo Langford, right? Who the Celtics drafted and Josh Richardson, along with a 2022 first round pick who became Blake Wesley. Blake Wesley, Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford turns into... Derek White, one piece of this five-man unit. Kristaps Porzingis, the Celtics traded Marcus Smart along with a bunch of other peripheral pieces uh, to essentially acquire Porzingis. I think there's an extra draft pick out there that's still going to be selected from these trades. And then the last piece, of course, was the one that they got this summer, Drew Holiday. And Drew Holiday was acquired for... Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams, and a 2024 first-round pick. How did the Celtics get Malcolm Brogdon, Cody? The Celtics got Malcolm Brogdon for some people I've never... Malik Fitz, Juwan Morgan, Aaron Neesmith was basically the star of that trade, along with Daniel Tice and a draft pick that became uh, Julian Strother. Uh, excuse me, Ju Julian uh, Strother for the uh, Nuggets. And then... On the, uh, on the white trade, when I mentioned they shipped out Josh Richardson for him, how did they get Josh Richardson? They got Josh Richardson for Moses Brown. And Mo this is my favorite part of this whole thing. Moses Brown was part of the trade to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Al Horford. So the Celtics were like, here you go. We got to get rid of Kemba Walker and Al Horford. Kemba Walker's basically out of the league. We'll throw in a 16th draft pick that actually became Alpern Schengen, by the way. Cool factoid there. And then we get Al Horford back. So the, so the Celtics were like, how do we get Derek White? We get Derek White by going Moses Brown and Al Horford to later on use that to be the key piece along with Romeo Lankford to get Derek White. Uh, the whole thing is just incredible general managing. Isn't this isn't there like a paperclip thing where it's like, here's a paperclip, but I'm going to trade up to get like like a car or something like that. This feels like classic, like, I, I don't even know the name of that, but some like entrepreneurial stuff that they are just handling it perfectly. So uh, all that was a lot of focus on the starting lineup. I think the question for the Celtics is, 
the depth and the bench. And that's where we started with Al Horford uh, and just sort of whatever defensive versatility they could get out of those players. Do the Celtics have any more players? I mean, Derek White, Cody, I thought you were going to mention this because I know you love Derek White. He's on court. The Celtics are plus 14 per 100 when he's on the court this season. And as much as I've liked the contribution of Sam Hauser off the bench and some of the Peyton Pritchard minutes and things like that, I think the question in the playoffs defensively is, is it just, are you just relying on those five or six players because they're super versatile? They have shown that they will try kind of flexible different schemes, but what happens if you meet up with a team that can really kind of puncture the Porzingis situation in the middle. Does Horford have enough? Do Can they play small ball? Because they really don't play like that too much in the regular season. That, that's my question for them. Otherwise, I, I would be more inclined to say, like, of the teams I trust, at least the starting five, I trust the way that fits the most in terms of versatility. But I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. How do you feel? Just to add some, like, you know, pizzazz to that on-off number, that odd number you're talking about with Derek White, it doesn't matter how you slice it. Like, you can put him with any other teammates on the Celtics. His on, his on and on-off are just ridiculous. Like, they outpace literally everyone. I think if you look at, like, Jalen Brown, the Celtics might actually be doing better when he's on the bench. Uh, and I think, like, most everyone else, like, you see a little bit of an improvement. Like, Jason Tatum's, like, a plus-five on-off, et cetera, et cetera. I think Drew Holiday's probably second on the team right now from what I've seen. But even then, like, Derek White is just... I don't know, man. He he does something special to their offense and, and defense, like you were saying. So uh, you're right. I should have brought that up. That was my bad. I'll I'll be on top of like the on off game a little bit longer. Well, you're you're dodging the question here. I you're I see what you're doing. You're <laughs> deflecting. You're avoiding an answer. Here's my question. Do you, I, we've talked it through. Do you feel like you have a a sense of who the best defense in the NBA is? Here's my question back to you about the Celtics, Ben. So we talked about that maybe there's a weak point in like the bigs and whatever else. Looking at the rest of their defensive personnel, how many teams do you think can take advantage of that? Well, that's the question. So if they are, if we stick with the East, if they play Philadelphia, that's the first place my mind goes because can it, it's kind of like in the past, I felt confident that the Celtics can do things to Embiid. Mm-hmm. But now Philadelphia has a different offense and they have a different coach. And so now my question is, can Embiid do things to the Celtics? And specifically, the center situation. Now, what we've seen in the regular season with Drew guarding him for certain possessions or other players guarding him, Horford obviously guards him super well. I would still think Boston has the advantage there based on that history. So maybe it's another team. Maybe it's, maybe it's your Milwaukee Bucks and Damian Lillard's pull-up three-point shooting. Maybe that's a thing. But again, we know the Celtics are probably going to try to play a game where they keep Porzingis out of that coverage. I mean, part of what we saw in the Cleveland game the other day was like you keep him out of that coverage and they can just switch. Whoever whoever else sets the screen, they can just switch. And so you totally nullify the theoretical advantage of any screen for the ball handler, for the pull-up shooter. In that game, it was Donovan Mitchell. Uh, another Eastern Conference team. It, it could be Dame Lillard with the Bucks. So this this is where my head hurts with Boston because it feels like theoretically or on paper, they should be the most versatile defense, maybe in the entire playoffs, maybe outside of the Lakers. 
because I just think the Lakers, the what the Lakers have at the their fastball is like the Lakers fastball is literally like we will play different coverages. I don't. I actually don't think the Lakers defense is built to be like a number one crush the regular season defense. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever been built that way. I think it's like our fastball is when we get to the playoffs and we can just do different things. So, really, the Lakers are the only one that can match the flexibility. They're the only. They're the only defense. Oh, are you thinking the Orlando Magic? I am thinking the Orlando Magic, man. Yeah. Uh, well, again, again, Cody, we're going to end an episode with you having multiple answers, quantum basketball, because it's like we don't know John Isaac, Jonathan Isaac, is going to play uh, more than 15 minutes a game or be healthy. And so th- I think the theory, the Magic are still a little too much theory mm-hmm. for me, maybe. I know, I know you want to have that be your answer, that the theoretical magic are the best defense. I actually here, – here's the thing about them. There's always, like, the young player tax. There just is. I need to see it a little bit more from yeah. Bancaro and Franz Wagner, and we already know that Jason Tatum is, like, a all like all defensive type of player, right? And I, I trust him playing that at, like, that four position. And then we also know, like, Drew Holiday is tested in the playoffs. Derek White defensively is tested in the playoffs. Like, these are guys that, like, have played in a lot of these different kinds of systems. So I think overall, despite what we're talking about with the size and stuff, I'm probably taking the Celtics as my number one playoff defense. Okay. I think the one other defense that we didn't mention today that is probably just worth separate content when we get there for the playoffs is the Miami Heat. And... They were they were on top of my mind when I started this process, and we've now just talked through all these teams and haven't discussed them. But the Heat, again, you just can't take the regular season average performance against the league with the injuries they've had historically, with what Eric Spolster tries to do, with the type of players they try to develop, and then think you're going to get a perfect one-to-one map when you get to the playoffs. And so every time you just get to the playoffs and you're like, well... They're shrinking the floor and cheating this coverage and and outwitting everyone. And, oh, they have a zone that people are totally confused by. And their best players are just, like, super locked in defensively from a IQ and scheme pers- perspective. You know, Jimmy Butler away from the ball and Bam out of bio and even guys like Kyle Lowry. So I, I think we skipped them today because I wouldn't put the ceiling with potentially what some of these other teams can hit. Uh, but they've been perfectly good in the regular season, and I would expect you could generate once again another great playoff defense from that ecosystem down there. Yeah, I mean the Eric Spolster of it all is interesting, and he has some like really clear alchemy with with Bam and and Jimmy. But I don't know, based on just like the regular season, I'm I'm not going to roll with the Ben. I think I called that they're not making the playoffs this year. I don't think I don't necessarily know if that's going to come true, Ben. I don't know, but uh, I just I don't fully believe in them quite as much as. Uh, is the those lofty statements you were just saying to support the show check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball that's also where you can get our team and player stat board that we use all the time to research podcasts and videos we talked about it through the show patreon.com slash thinking basketball cody wait a second wait a second we can't end that we can't let you off the hook do you have a final answer that you're going to submit for the record about the best defense in the nba didn't i say the celtics I said, oh, sorry. So you're going Celtic. You're you're going Celtics, but Orlando, if they have, if they have Isaac, the youth thing, the youth of it all is really interesting. Yeah, that's what I think. I think it's hard. It's hard to trust that defense. If you like, in theory, if you could give them a one better offensive player that would help them play multiple playoff series, 
because I think that's still the big question mark. Um, I would think I would have a hard time expecting them to absolutely be the best playoff defense. I think the one the thing that I'm still trying to figure out here is like the LA Lakers. You know, LeBron and Anthony Davis are incredible defensive players. We talked about, you know, I think even looking at the playoffs from last year, you see some of those games where, like, Rui's taking Jokic and then Anthony Davis is able to play off ball. They're able to do a lot of this experimenting, like you were saying. But, like, they don't have the defensive guards, right? Like, I don't know who of their guards are, like, really strong defensive players, like, if any. And then you look at the Magic and they're just stockpiled with them. And I'm like, shouldn't this kind of matter? Like, doesn't mm. this matter a little bit that just, like, this litany of, like, guys that want to tackle, like, the screen navigation and the, like, one-on-one full-court types of pressure and are also really quick? I feel like I, like, want to value that, like, a little bit. But, like, the size and, like, the experience of the Lakers, I don't know. That's where I'm stuck between these two teams specifically. It, it's kind of like we never got to see Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso yeah. do their thing. But yeah. the Magic have the personnel to kind of give you the Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso-ish experience. Like, Jalen Suggs and Anthony Black unleashed uh, kind of experience. But I, I think the youth I think the youth is an issue there with them as well. Uh, if I had to pick today, I would probably say the Celtics. Maybe the t- I think the Celtics and the Timberwolves are my two choices. And I'm very interested to kind of revisit this. Maybe someone uh, listening can remind us in like April or May, when we get to the end of the year, we get to the playoffs to kind of, because sometimes, you know, there's a lot of season left to play, stuff changes, and especially on defense, when you like figure out your rotations and your communications and your role, that can click teams into different positions and different levels. And I'm really, I'm really interested to see where we are in like three or four months. Does another defense, like, like Toronto's defense has always fascinated me and I think they're good, but I wouldn't, based on what I've seen, put them in this conversation yet. At the beginning of the year, I thought Brooklyn might have an interesting defense, but that Same also thing. hasn't yeah. coalesced. Yeah, so. and I think they're sometimes they play, they try to sneak some extra offensive players on there and, uh, you know, they lose some defense. So anyway, the, that is it for this one. Thanks, as always, for listening all the way through, and uh, I do hope you are having a great day.